welcome to the Daily Reprieve, where we provide essays, speaker meetings, workshops, and conferences in podcast format. We are an ad-free podcast. If you enjoy listening, please help us be self-supporting by going to donate.thedailyreprieve.com and drop a dollar or two into the virtual basket. Please consider donating monthly by clicking the Donate Monthly button. However, one-time donations are always welcome. Just click the Donate Now button. Now, without further ado, this episode of The Daily Reprieve. Welcome. We'll go ahead and get started. Uh, would those who care to like to join me in a uh, moment of silence followed by the serenity prayer? Prayer. God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. Uh, Hi, I'm Gina, and I'll be your leader for this meeting. We welcome you to this as a non-family group and hope that in this fellowship you will find the help and friendship that we've been privileged to enjoy. We would like you to feel that we understand as perhaps few can. We too were lonely and frustrated, but here we have found that there is no situation too difficult to be bettered and no unhappiness too great to be lessened. The Essendon family groups consist of relatives and friends of sexaholics who realize that by banding together, they can better solve their common problems. We urge you to try our program. Without spiritual help, living with or having lived with a sexaholic is too much for most of us. We become nervous, irritable, and unreasonable. Our thinking becomes confused and our perspective becomes distorted. Rarely have we seen a person who was not greatly benefited by working the SNON program. The 12 steps of SNON, which we try to follow, are not easy. At first, we may think that some of them are are unnecessary. But if we are honest, open-minded, and willing to apply the principles to the 12 steps to our lives, we find that the benefits can be limitless, including God's gift of serenity. This is a session on grief, transforming our losses, and I will be taking everything straight from this book called Opening Our Hearts, Transforming Our Losses. It's actually an Al-Anon book, so any readings that I will read from, um, I'll be switching Al-Anon to S-Anon and alcoholism to sexaholism. This book was um, very good for me. I um, grew up in a family uh, kind of where I was told, oh, you shouldn't feel that way, or you're young, wait till you have real problems. So what do you do with all those feelings that you have, but you're not supposed to have? You stuff them away. For me, it was like pouring um, buckets of water behind a dam. There's only so much water that a dam can hold before it breaks. And the giant bucket of discovery that was thrown over it was what finally broke it and all the pain and the trauma from the past just came flooding out. This book really helped me sort through, well, first of all, that it was okay to have those feelings, that you are supposed to have those feelings. They're not silly. Um, And also it helped me sort through what I'm really feeling. Um, So I'm going to go ahead and start with a reading from this book. It's on page five. Before recovery, I used to think grief only happened when someone died. I had been in Essanon for several years before I read about grief 
in relation to sexaholism. It started to make perfect sense to me when I understood that much of my sadness, anger, and mixed up feelings were signs of grief. As I got more and more honest, I saw that I had been in grief much of my life, but had no name for it. Recognizing my grief seemed to offer me a sense of dignity. Living with the disease of sexaholism affects us physically, emotionally, and spiritually. Many describe the pain of grief as like any, unlike anything they've ever felt before. Although we may experience similar symptoms, grief will affect each one of us differently. There are so many nuggets, great nuggets in this book um, to try and bring out. And the best way I could figure out how to do it was to just do two columns, what grief is and what grief isn't. And I'm going to start um, the first, what grief isn't. Grief is not just about losing someone or something tangible. Uh, Some of the things I've grieved was the loss of my marriage or what I thought my marriage was, the loss of my husband, what I thought my husband was. And if he's not who he seemed, then who am I? It was kind of a loss of my sense of self as well. The loss of a dream, what I thought my life was, uh, what I thought my relationship was. I've grieved for my children. Uh, their world was shattered as well. And um, I've also grieved the fact that they didn't get to grow up with two healthy parents, and I'm including myself in that as well. Grief is also not time-constrained. I cannot set deadlines on my grief. And believe me, I've tried. Uh, when discovery happened, um, it was in January. June, I had a fabulous vacation plan, prepaid, non-refundable, So I'm like, okay, six months, I'm going to be over this. Uh, That did not happen. I still had to take the vacation, but I was not over it. And if I can't set deadlines on my own grief, then nobody else can either. And that's an important point to remember. Grief is not the same for everyone. Comparing myself to others was a really bad habit. Uh, Probably for about the first year in the program, I kept looking for somebody that had the same exact same story as me because uh, then I could go to get their formula. How long is this going to last? And, you know, what time I should be over it. Um, I have found that there are no two stories exactly alike and there are no two pains that are exactly the same. Uh, grief is not an exemption. Nobody gets to bypass this stage. Pain in life is inevitable. Life on life's terms. And as it says in this book, there's a delicate balance between avoiding our pain and giving ourselves time to deal with it. We don't want to circumvent our grief, nor do we want to force ourselves to confront it before we're ready. I have to trust God when when painful memories hit that it's him saying it's time to deal with this. And I... um, I, we hear a lot of terms, a lot of sayings in SNN, and one of them is the cure for the pain is the pain. And another one is you can't heal the hurt until you feel the hurt. Nobody likes the painful part of it, but it's something that we have to go through in order to get to the other side. Grief is not a decision maker. Emotions don't make good decisions. Uh, in the past, when I've been in the pit of despair, The only thing I could think of was getting away from the source of my pain, which at the time was my SA. So, um, but when I'm in that spot, that's not the place for me to make major decisions. 
Um, grief is not a measure of my recovery. And this one, I have to remind myself a lot. A lot of times when I'm hurting, I'm thinking, okay, I'm not working this program right. I'm not working the steps right. I'm not praying and meditating enough. Um, but with the help of this program, I have learned that if I allow it, grief is going to be one of my greatest teachers. What am I supposed to learn about myself in this moment? Sometimes it comes with a big revelation about myself. Other times it's just a signal for me to slow down. It's time to slow down, take care of yourself for a minute. And in those times, uh, we talked about slogans last night. And one of them in those times that I have to remember is halt. For me, um, I added an S at the end. It's a, am I hungry, angry, lonely, tired, or sick? If I'm sick, that can really mess um, with my thinking, get, really get me off track. Okay, that is what grief is not. What is grief? It is overwhelming at times. When I'm in the middle of it, it feels like I'm always going to feel this way. I am never going to get over this. And this is a good time for me to remember the slogan, this too shall pass. My sponsor says it to me all the time. And in that first year, I wanted to slap her because it just it didn't feel like it. I felt I am never going to feel normal again. But thankfully, that slogan is true. It does pass. Grief is exhausting. Sleep, sleepless nights. Can't get out of bed some mornings. Forgetting to eat. I lost 20 pounds like in two months. Um, I used to call it the discovery diet. I don't recommend it, but I guess I still call it that. I understand that others uh, struggle with overeating. Um, my body felt completely worn down and like I was walking around in a fog all the time. Uh, my brain was completely hijacked by sex addiction, something before discovery I really didn't believe even existed. Um, it, is, uh, it is unpredictable. One minute I'm fine, next minute I'm sad, next minute I'm angry. One minute I can be laying on the bathroom floor crying, and the next minute I feel relief. Um, this is a roller coaster of emotions that we uh, tend to go through, and it can hit at inconvenient places too. Uh, Hobby Lobby, the grocery store, Target. I have cried in all of those stores. And Target was one of the worst, standing in the Hallmark aisle, trying to pick out an anniversary card. Just boohooing. It's like, they don't make anniversary cards for people like me. So um, I ended up getting a blank one and writing my own. So it is unpredictable, and it's very inconvenient at times. Grief is sometimes hard to identify. Uh, before discovery, I had three negative emotions I was aware of. I could either be sad, depressed, or angry. Uh, I did not know at the time that all of those can be symptoms of grief. Um, other symptoms are fear, anxiety, and loneliness. All of those which I experienced at one point or another, even before discovery, uh, not knowing what was wrong with my marriage, but knowing that something was. I do a lot of self-reflection now um, when I feel a negative emotion and try to see what's really at, at the core of it now. Grief is recurring in nature. It would be so nice if I could just have one big cry and then be over with. Um, but for me, sometimes um, it's the little miseries that mount up. I was sharing last night that I can really overuse that slogan, how important is it? 
oh, this little offense. Well, how important is that? I'll, yeah, I'll let that one slide. I'll let that one slide until I let so many things slide that it just it just explodes. And sometimes it's a big trigger. Um, an unpleasant memory will um, surface, and and even three years later, it'll still happen. Where I'll remember a, a not a very good time in the past. And then it'll hit me, oh, that's why my spouse was behaving the way he was. Sex addiction. There it is. And so there's a lot of, um, or there was, a lot of putting two and two together, what I call it, uh, about the past. Um, Grief causes oversensitivity. I can make these great big mountains of the tiniest little molehills. Uh, The smallest perception of rejection can just really cause panic and fear in me and and hurt you know um a lot of times i find myself creating my own chaos by waiting for the other shoe to drop um i'm always expecting the worst and i don't want to be caught off guard this time um which makes me to the next point which grief can also be anticipatory the dreaded future tripping Again, I'm so good at the story making. Just give me a little grain of information and I can build this whole story around it of what my essay might do. But this kind of future tripping usually causes a lot of fear in me. It's taken me a while to really identify what it is I'm doing and what it's causing in me. And for me, that really blocks my communication with my higher power. Because if I am in that much fear... I'm not trusting him. And, and if I'm not trusting him, I'm, I'm going to stay stuck in that moment and I'm not going to move forward. Grief is learning to forgive. Letting grief come, expending the grief, relieves me of the pain of the past that I've been carrying around. And this opens the door for forgiveness. And if I, there are times where I'm finding it difficult to forgive, That means that I probably need to do some more healing around that area. Ultimately, forgiveness is an action that I take to free myself. And I'd like to end my little portion with another reading from this book on page 51. Essanon may not be able to give us back everything we have lost, but it can restore our sense of hope. By learning to focus on ourselves, we find that peace and contentment are possible, even in the midst of uncertainty. As we gain strength and self-confidence, we find that we have loosened our grip on the dreams we have we once held so tightly. Before long, we realize we're building new dreams. Uh, Before I open the meeting for shares, this one is being recorded, and so you can... um, Bypass saying your name if you'd like to. This is going to be posted on the website. So, and there will be a microphone that will be circulated. Um, feel free to use it if you'd rather not be heard at all. That's fine too. So, the meeting is now open for shares. Thanks. I love partnerly share that grief does not have a time limit. And that it is not an indicator of how well or how not so well in my program. Um, 
And I experienced grief in my life to be very much like the removal of denial. Um, And I've come to an acceptance that if I'm doing the right thing, if I'm working my program in the right way and practicing rigorous honesty, that the layers of denial will continue to peel away and that the layers of grief will continue the process. Um, And that idea of working through something and allowing the feelings of something allows me to go deeper. And a lot of times I'd like to say no thanks. Like I'd like to stop at that second or third layer. I'm good. Uh, But the the deeper I'm willing to go, the more honest I'm willing to be, the more tolerant I am of those uncomfortable feelings. Um, And this program has allowed me to work through childhood trauma and um, really grow a trust in my higher power um, and a faith in myself to... Come out the other side. Um, and with this program, these layers, I think that I understand something cognitively and my heart feels it and I've completed something. And then the next time I look at it, there's something so much bigger and so much deeper. Um, And it's hard, but I'm grateful for that because I think that it makes me a more humble person. Um, And I think it allows me to learn how to be loved, which is about the hardest thing I've ever tried to do. Thanks, Michelle. I can very very quickly go into um, checkbox mode for lots of things. Um, and being in this program over the last three years, I feel like um, has given me the the gift of grief, um, where I wouldn't stop doing things um, to grieve. I would just bulldoze right over it um, and say, "I'll get to that later." But there was never a later, and so. From a practical standpoint, I feel like um, one of the gifts and one of the things that I've learned is that when the unpredictable grief comes, to make time and space for it. Um, because it, it will like just build up and mount for me. So if I make time and space for it, um, when it hits... And I remember that it's exhausting and I um, tell myself the slogan, easy does it, and ask myself if there's something that I can take off of my plate for the day or for the week or multiple things. Can somebody come, you know, watch the kids or whatever? That frees me up to hear from God on what he wants to reveal to me that needs grieving. Um, and also kind of help me work through it. And um, I love um, 
the lead share on that, uh, what was it? Uh, it causes oversensitivity. And that's something that I so often forget that the slightest word or reaction or facial expression when it causes me to all of a sudden have a wave of sadness or fear, I can extend self-compassion to myself and remember that I'm grieving or there's something that needs to be grieved or there's something that I thought I grieved that I hadn't or just another layer. Um, that's really, really helpful for me to remember. Like I said, even three years in feeling like sometimes feeling like I'm at day one again um, and remembering that I have made progress and I have come a long way and um, that grief doesn't measure, is not a measure for my recovery. It's really good to be reminder too. So thanks a lot. Um, I was married to an alcoholic for 17 years and went to Al-Anon for five, the last five before we divorced. And um, I knew he was alcoholic, but I didn't know he was a sex addict until after I got out of the marriage. Uh, but a number of years before I got out of that marriage, I had heard so many rumors for so long when we traveled nine to 10 months out of the year. And I insisted that he tell me the truth. And he knew that I meant it. So he shared a lot of what was going on then at that time in his life. And I was devastated. And um, as the months passed by, I was obsessed going over and over and over everything he had said in my mind. And uh, a lot of it, as I went over it, I thought, no, that wasn't all the truth. And I'd go back and ask for more. And I'd go back and ask for more. And I'd go back and ask for more. And finally, I got to the place I thought, I don't want to hear anymore. I can't handle it anymore. And I didn't know, but I was grieving during that time. I remember thinking, will life ever be okay? Will I ever be happy again? Um, and then years later, um, a nephew of my present and last husband um, died. And I went to work one day, and uh, at lunch, I thought, I'm going to run over to Walmart and do some shopping. And I parked the car and, and walked up to the doors, and I was so weak. I, I thought, I'm just, I can't do it. And I went and got back in the car, and I was surprised I could even walk. My legs just felt so weak. And uh, I started doing a lot of reading about grief and realized that it takes a tremendous toll, takes lots of energy, and it totally drains your body. And you don't get over it quickly. Um, I've learned that in a lot of other countries, if someone dies, if a friend dies, they will leave, let you have six months off work to get over it. Uh, here in America, if your husband dies, they think in two weeks you ought to be back at work and everything ought to be okay. Um, we don't understand grief like, like it really is. But it is something that time does not heal. Um, it's like having a flat tire and been on the side of the road, just stand there waiting for time to pass, not going to fix that tire. And just waiting will not heal the grief. It's something that you have to work through. And for me, a lot of journaling helps. Um, you know, um, how am I feeling? What did I want? Uh, what did I have instead of what I wanted? Um, how, did I, how do I wish that it had been different? 
but how was it really? Uh, a lot of journaling helped. A lot of allowing myself to cry helped. Um, for a long time, I had always thought crying was that I was going to lose it and I would never be able to come back. And I realized that crying was the thing that kept me from losing it. It helped me get rid of what I was feeling. So whenever I felt like crying, if it was in an appropriate place, which it wasn't always, uh, I would let myself do that. Uh, I also tried to take care of myself and resting because it was like I just wanted to sleep and cry. And that was it. Um, but I, I also learned that uh, if you have lost a relationship, the longer you've known that person and the more intense that relationship is, the worse the grief is. And by intense, it could be intense bad or intense good. And, um, and I've experienced both. Um, I'm in a place in my life right now where my husband has um, dementia and Parkinson's and neuropathy. And um, the kind he has, they say the lifespan is five to seven years, and he has lived for nine. And um, it's so hard to live one day at a time with that because uh, things can get really quiet. And I think, oh, God, is, is he still here? Is he okay? Um, or I can leave the house, and then I find myself doing what I did as a child. I grew up in a home where my mother was addicted to prescription drugs, and my father, his form of punishment was beatings, and he thought he was doing the right thing, uh, spare the rod, spoil the child, go to church constantly, and then beat the kid if they don't do right. Um well, I've lost some train of thought of what I was doing that. Oh, um, and growing up in that environment, I would leave the house. And then when it came time for me to be back home, the closer I got to home, the faster I would be driving because my anxiety would be so high wondering what had happened and what I was going to face when I walked through the door. And I find myself today many times when I leave my husband and, and I can leave and he doesn't wander anything. Um, the closer I get back to the house, the faster I'm driving thinking, is he going to be okay when I get there? But uh, I, I had an experience not too long ago that I really felt like my higher power. We, we had a, the other grandmother to my grandchildren died, and we went to the funeral, and I felt like my higher power said to me then, I'm with you here with this woman who uh, I liked. I didn't have any problem with her. She loved my grandkids like I do, and I thought that was wonderful. But uh, I felt like my higher power said, I'm here with you at this funeral, which is not that emotional for you. And I will be with you when your husband passes. Um, I find myself trying to prepare for it. And I know really you can't prepare. But um, anyway, I, this is a very good topic. Thank you. about grief 
is that the final stage of grief is acceptance. And um, I have been, um, I too, as, as many of you did, grew up in a home where um, we didn't really acknowledge feelings um, at all. But of course, the the happy feelings were always seemed appropriate and acceptable, and the sad or angry feelings were not addressed or they were unacceptable. And so I I find that now that I am allowing myself to grieve, that there are events just waiting in line for their chance to be grieved. Um, But knowing that on the other side is acceptance is um, is kind of like the prize for walking through a haunted house or something. It's um, I I do believe if I can come to a place of acceptance that I am less resentful that I am more at peace and that is ultimately what I where I want to be. Um, so grief going through the stages of grief is the price I pay to get to acceptance, I guess. Um, it is exhausting. It is physically and emotionally exhausting. Um the difference I see now as opposed to um, the idea that I had previously, or the idea I had previously was that just ignore it, you know, don't, don't go there. Um, and now I am that person that I've got one of those little handkerchiefs in my purse now because I'm the person that cries <laughs> um, unexpectedly and unexplainably sometimes in random places. And um, But when that happens, I don't really feel as embarrassed anymore. I do feel a little embarrassed sometimes still, but not so much. And I know when that happens, because it is so different for me to just let it happen. I know that that's progress for me because it means that I am willing to go through there, to go through that place, to go through that feeling, to accept it because I know that it will lead me to acceptance. I'm Debbie. Um, I grew up in a home of extreme violence and I wasn't allowed to cry. So it it went internally and um, my mom was so controlling and um, to where she even served my food, denied me food, which uh, 
ended up in a very severe eating disorder. She didn't protect me from my dad. Abuse uh, as far as sexual. Um, and my uh, friend's dad and my father-in-law. And I was, I mean, she never protected me over anything. All she did was, you know, abuse me. So the grief that I have of my childhood, the grief of, you know, my years in high school, um, she became a severe alcoholic. And I just didn't have, you know, what was said, um, things that are waiting in line to be grieved. I've got so many, um, so many things that uh, that I've got to grieve about. Um, it's it's uh, crazy how lives parallel. For example, my dad, I know now, was a sexaholic. And my mom's sitting in the bathroom, sitting at the door, just crying and crying and with us kids in the lap and begging them not to go. Um, that it ended up where I did the same thing, just crying and begging. One of his affairs was across the street. He's a friend of mine. and just begging him to not go. I mean, he had no problem. I knew what he was doing. He had no problem telling me what he was doing. And I just uh, stayed in that. My only way I knew how to grieve was to run. To run, to me, was self-abuse. To run, for me, was taking pills, trying to kill myself. God wanted me here. He wants me here because there's no reason that I shouldn't be gone. Um, I, my, both of my girls were going to, one was moving to England to start a church. The other one moved out here. And I couldn't take it. And again, you know, not being able to deal with pain. And so it's, you know, that fight or flight, again, running. Um, this time, the suicide attempt put me in a catatonic state for many months. Um, where it took electric shock to bring me out of it. And the different things that I need to grieve over, and I was finding my mom died in no way. Um, and I've got pages and pages of things that she did. And I finally came to a point of... Um, 
the middle of last year where um, the PTSD was just constant. There was just so many nightmares and things. And it was like, God was saying, okay, it's time. Now you can take and grieve your mom. And um, a few months later, I find out about my husband's porn addiction. And so I... No, I know it's God's time. But the grief is just so severe. Um, you know, I'm in trauma therapy and getting ready to do what they call an EMDR. Um, and, you know, I'm just, I'm learning to have to, I'm learning to sit in this through this program. Um, and, feel the feelings because they're so scary. And I know because he saved me from, you know, so many times to just want to be out of here and go away, go to sleep for a long time. Um, But he knows that I can handle this. You know, he's, he's... I can honestly say, as painful as this is, I'm, I don't want to say I'm glad, but I feel so blessed that he's given me this story. And, you know, and and if it can, I can speak to one person and make a difference um, with my story. And, um, you know, but my daughter ended up with a severe eating disorder, and so I grieve that all the years that she struggled with that. So they just, I just blame myself for a lot, and I just want to be able to work this program the best I can and not feel I have to do it perfectly. And, um, which is very, very hard. Perfectionism sucks. But I'm just thankful for the women. Thankful to everybody sharing their, you know, their stories, their experience, strength and hope. Um, because I, you know, it, helps me in this journey. And I I know that uh, someday I'll be able to grieve the losses from my mother. Uh, And I think God just, just, maybe he just doesn't want me doing it. You know, maybe he just does not, you know, that's why bring different things into my life. I don't have to deal with that. Um, so anyway, this past month I've come to a realization that I have been I've been crazy for longer than I realized. Um, it was with my last and worst this year. And I feel like there was a discovery or five every single month of the whole time. 
And the end, he ended up waiting me. A lot of people don't find it in that, but it's just it was something like this. Yeah. yeah. In the past three years, we have been kind of off and on and back and forth with Michael. Um, until I finally was able to put him in the lock of the room and we found us and on and back and forth. Sorry, I've been crying, so like, my voice is a little raspy right now. Um, and I was going to have another tough decision and cut off contact um, because I was I was harming my own grieving process um, because I kept getting stuck. And something that was just really wrong with me it was, you know, one of the things. I have been trying to get time to on my grief. Um, my essay would tell me, and I keep bringing up old stuff, and I'm so sick of rehashing things. And you know what? That's really stuck with me because I'm like, you know, I should be over this. I shouldn't be thinking about this. I shouldn't still be talking about this. I shouldn't need to go over this. Um, I love something from one of the. It was been earlier, and it was like, you know, you should be over it by now. And she's like, you know, I get to decide that. And that's really stuck with me today. Um, I have places. I'm allowed to process this how I need to. I'll be over it when I'm over it. Mm-hmm. Another thing that stuck with me all day is time takes time. is exhausting. I feel like I've been exhausted for about seven years. Um, I'm so grateful that I have a place to express that, to process it, um, to walk through it, and, and that's one of my, the only way out is to So I really appreciate this topic. I thought I would make it through this whole conference without crying, and I was very, very walk. Um, and it's just what I needed. I really appreciate it. And I'm all with Thanks. I am Karen. <clears throat> I'm uh, early in recovery, um, and I am in the throes of grief right now. And really, this is the first time I've ever dealt with grief. Um, <clears throat> and as I was sharing with you at lunch earlier, uh, through this process, I have um, discovered. I knew that my dad had affairs on my mom, um, but now that I know what an essay looks like, I grew up with an essay and didn't know it. I just thought I had a dad that just, you know, was a womanizer. Um, So part of this process is not only grieving what has happened to me and my husband, but also realizing what happened to my childhood and the secrets that I've always carried and carried into my marriage and kept from everyone that I loved. And so I'm just now realizing I'm grieving a lot of other things, not just my marriage. Um, But I'm in the throes of it, but it's been so good just to kind of finally, finally start getting it out. It's now time to close.
This is an anonymous program. We ask all members to respect our anonymity. The stories you hear are told in confidence and should not be repeated outside of the meeting, including to spouses or family members or friends. They are told so that we might better understand this program and ourselves and to give encouragement and help to the newcomers so that we may keep what we have been given. Uh, we usually close or we have been closing with the gifts. Um, but I'd like to close if it's okay with the keys. Because um, they were a little difficult for me in the beginning. Um, to swallow, to accept that lovely word acceptance. So um, the keys are over time, SNI members learn to accept a number of new ideas. One, sexaholism is a disease very similar to alcoholism. At first, many of us could not accept this idea. For SNI members, it means that we see sexaholics as sick people, not bad people. They are powerless over lust. Two, the actions of the sexaholic are not a result of something we did or did not do, and we do not have the power to control their behavior. Three, our attempts to control or ignore sexual addiction led to a decline in our own emotional health and may have enabled the sexaholic to continue to practice his or her disease. Four, when we first come to Essanon, we too are spiritually and emotionally ill. As we work toward full acceptance of these ideas, we begin to see our problems in a new light, and the awareness dawns that we do have choices concerning our own actions. This is the beginning of our recovery. We remind ourselves that we are powerless over the behavior caused by sexualism. We ask a higher power to help us to stop blaming and trying to control the sexaholic. The sobriety of the sexaholic is not our responsibility. We realize we cannot find serenity for ourselves if we continue to focus on someone else's recovery. So we commit ourselves to our own recovery. With the loving help of other Esnon members and the God of our understanding, we take positive action to make our lives more serene and fulfilling. We attend as many meetings as we can, get a sponsor if possible, and begin to apply the principles of the 12 steps to our lives. We use the telephone, the Esnon literature, and the Esnon slogans. Eventually, we reach out to help others and try to carry the message of our own recovery. We do these things in our own way, one day at a time, striving for progress, not for, pe- for perfection. This is what is meant by working the program. I would like to thank you for listening to this episode of The Daily Reprieve, the best source for experience, strength, and hope for SA members. Please subscribe to this podcast to be alerted of new episodes. Please show your support by donating to The Daily Reprieve by going to donate.thedailyreprieve.com and choosing either monthly donations or a one-time donation by clicking Donate Now. Thank you for listening and stay tuned for the next episode of The Daily Reprieve.